ask you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew, the 7th chapter. Again, this morning as we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to focus on our attention to just one verse. Uh, You know, I do this from time to time, uh, one verse at a time. Uh, Last week we looked at the discernment in prayer. This week we want to look at discernment in practice. And in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we read these words, words that we're often accustomed to and we have come to know as the golden rule. Look at verse 12 with me of chapter 7 where it says, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would, do, would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now I know some of you probably thought the golden rule was, do unto others before they do unto you. Uh, but uh, uh, of course the name golden rule is one that people have come up with. This is not a, uh, necessarily a, a Bible label, but I believe it still uh, makes a good deal of sense. Uh, think, first of all, of what a rule is. What a rule is. On one hand, a rule is an authoritative standard or principle that uh, is given to regulate conduct. Uh, if you were, had ever been an athlete, you know that there, it's important to play by the rules. And uh, the Apostle Paul even said at one time, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Second Timothy 2 and verse 5. Now in one respect, that fits the idea of the golden rule very well. It's an authoritative standard given to us by the Lord Jesus that is meant to govern the conduct of His followers. And as they want others to do to them, they also are to do for others. It's called golden, I would suspect, because it's understood to be above all others in greatness, in purity, and it's of great value. Uh, It's certainly a rule because it's meant to guide, but it's also golden because it's of great value. But there's another sense in which we can understand this to be the golden rule. A rule is a standard of measurement. Now I'm going to do something this morning that you might think a little strange, and if you're holding your Bible there and, and, and uh, your notes and your pen and so forth, it's going to be kind of hard to do this. But I would just uh, encourage everyone, if you would, give me one foot, please. Let's see. Well, some of you are participating, some of you are not. Let me check that, Tom. Don't move. Oh, he's a little—he's a little wide. Anybody else want to be? There we go. I would dare say that if I went around with my standard of measurement here of one foot, that we would be various. Uh, Ways either smaller or larger, wouldn't we? And uh, that's a, a standard for us. Many times we would fall short of the standard if we were to give what that standard would be. And sometimes 
some of you fellows need this when you're fishing and you tell how much, how big that fish was. But uh, of course, most of you would probably need a yardstick. Um, it sends us all the way back, though, to the beginning of what Jesus' uh, sermon as it started. Uh, remember back in chapter 5, it talked about blessed be the poor in spirit, uh, blessed be they that mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so this morning I would like for us to kind of dig very deep into this one verse and consider this uh, each word very carefully. And so we began the verse with the first word, and that is, therefore. It points, first of all, us to the context of the rule. The context, and that's a word that we've used many, many times already in the last several weeks in our study of the book of Matthew, uh, here is context. And this word, therefore, points, first of all, to the context of the rule. It draws us back to the world's words that preceded this verse. As we look back, we see that Jesus has taught us about His Father's care for us through our prayers. We looked at this last week uh, in verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if he, his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? Therefore, okay, it's pointing back, first of all, to what we talked about last week. Jesus teaches us here that our Heavenly Father is good. He's very good to us. And if we ask Him uh, for something good, uh, He's not going to give us something bad. Uh, we can trust Him. If we ask Him for something and if we get something different than what we ask for, because our Father is so good to us that He will not give, a, give us anything that's bad for us, even if we were to ask for it. And in the end, how, that's how we would want Him to treat us. That's how we would want Him to treat us. And so when Jesus says, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. He's calling us to imitate the goodness of our Father and that he, the goodness that He shows to us. But now, we can even go farther back than that. Because before verses 7 through 11, we read there in verse 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with that what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged with what measure ye meet it, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull up the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of, uh, out of thy brother's eye. Now, why would Jesus tell us that? Why would He tell us to do that? Well, it's because that's how we would want to be treated, would we not? We wouldn't want someone to be judgmental toward us 
Uh, we would not want someone to behave toward us in a hypocritical manner. We wouldn't want someone to use us as a means of making themselves look good. And so we shouldn't treat others that way either. Now I believe it will take us, uh, this word therefore takes us back even further still. Look at how Jesus ends our verse. He says here in verse 12 at the very end, for this is the law and the prophets. Now that phrase was a way that people in Jesus' day would refer to all that is taught to us in the Old Testament. And Jesus uses the same phrase near the beginning of his sermon when he says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. He said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20. For I say unto you that except your righteousness should exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. As we look at these two passages together, chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, and chapter 7 and verse 12, in one, Jesus says He didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And then in the other, He said to to do to others what we would want done to us is the essence of the law and the prophets. And the first one introduces the matter, and the second one summarizes the matter. You might say that Jesus' whole sermon is held together by these two bookends. Matthew 5, 17-20 is one bookend, and it establishes for us that Jesus' teaching doesn't set the law and the prophets aside, but rather fulfills what they demand. And our verse this morning, chapter 7 and verse 12, is the other bookend, and it affirms that the spirit of the instruction of the law and the prophets is fulfilled when we do to others as we would want them to do unto us. And then think of what falls in between these two bookends. In chapter 5, verse 21, notice what it says there. In chapter 5 and verse 21 through 26, we're reminded that the law says we're not to murder. But then Jesus said we're even told not to be angry with our neighbor without cause. Would you want someone to murder you? Of course not. Uh, but you wouldn't want someone to be angry towards you without cause either. And so you are to treat others as you would want to be treated. Now then you go on down in chapter 5, verse 27 through 32, and we're told that we're not to look on others with lust in our hearts toward them or violate the sanctity of marriage. You wouldn't want someone to look upon you as a mere object of their own gratifications. And you wouldn't want someone to look at your daughter or your wife or your sister in a lustful manner. You would not want to be treated as, uh, or you would be wanted to be treated with respect and dignity. You would demand that your fundamental commitments of marriage and family be respected. 
and would want the people in your family circle to be treated as precious and valuable and worthy of dignity. And so you are to do the same to others that you would, as you would want to be treated yourself. Now it teaches us then in verses 33 through 37, we're not to take vows rashly. More and more than that, we're, we're to live in such a way as to make sure our yes is a yes and our no is no. And that's to be sufficient. We would want others to keep their promises toward us. We wouldn't anyone, uh, want, want anyone to lie to us, would you? Certainly not. Or as it says in chapter 5 and verse 38 to 42, we uh, would want someone to do more than merely fulfill the most superficial obligations to us. We would want someone to go the extra mile for us and give willingly and gladly of themselves to us. Or as it says in chapter 5, verse 43 through 48, we would want our, even our enemies to love us and bless us and pray for us. We would want them to be good to us, even if we were unworthy of that treatment. And in all of this, we're called upon to do to others as we would want them to do to us. And so, look again what, it, what we're taught in chapter 6. We wouldn't want someone to try to do their charitable deeds before us just, as that, uh, just so they uh, may receive praise of men. That's in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Nor would we want them to make a pretense of prayers before us just so they could be considered spiritual, verses 5 through 15. And we certainly wouldn't want them to fast in front of us just to make us feel sorry for them or to persuade us to be impressed with their devotion, verses 16 through 18. And if we wouldn't want people to do that in front of us, neither would we want to do that in front of them. We would want people to live with genuine, sincere reverence and trust in God. We would want people to lay up their treasures in heaven and to keep their eyes single toward God, and to trust Him for their daily provision. All of this is taught in chapter 6. All these things describe the way we would want other people to live before us. And Jesus spoke all these words to those who were His followers. They were intended for those who were His disciples. We saw that back in chapter 5 and verse 1. And all the things that he said describe nothing less than the kind of life his Father intended for us to live when he gave us his law in the Old Testament. And so that brings us down to that closing book and verse. Chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore, therefore, after saying all these things, therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Everything else that remains in Jesus' sermon, and we go down from chapter thir- uh, ch- 7 to 13 to 27, basically constitutes a call to heed and obey what he said in the passage that's between the two bookends. It's the essence of it all. And so here, our verse this morning is really a summary statement of his sermon. It's all brought together for us in a practical call to action in that word, therefore. And so that's the context, and that's very, very important, the context of the so-called golden rule. Now secondly, notice the measure 
the measure of the rule. It's given to us in the phrase, whatsoever ye would do that men should do to you. And you should know a couple of details about this. In the original language, the word that Jesus used for men, anthropos, does not mean strictly men or males. Rather, it should be understood in a more generic way. That is, we're to be considered, we are to consider what we would want people, male or female, in general to do to us. And what's more, the way Jesus puts this is in such a way that it almost strains at being an all-encompassing as it can be. Another way to say it might be this, all things, therefore, as much as it ever occurs, that you may wish that people may do to you. Now, have you ever been caught in one of those awkward social situations in which you just didn't know how to respond to someone? Perhaps they caught you off guard by some insensitive act. Or perhaps they asked you something that uh, you could not give them. Uh, or perhaps you offended them in some way or acted insensitively uh, to them. Well, whenever we encounter a question of what we're to do with other people, Jesus calls us to stop and ask this simple question of ourselves. What would I want people to do to me in a similar situation? What would I want people to say to me if they were given this situation? Think about it. Wouldn't you want people on the most fundamental level to love you? To treat you with dignity and respect no matter what you may have said or done? Wouldn't you want people to see the past uh, or see past what they saw on the surface and look at the real you? Wouldn't you want people to assume the best about you and put the very best frame on your motives? Wouldn't you want people to say only what is true about you, not to spread rumors or gossip about you? Wouldn't you want that? What about those times when we disagree with one another? When we enter into controversy? Wouldn't you want your ideas to be li at least listened to or respected or your concerns considered uh, very carefully? Wouldn't you want the other person to at least show you the courtesy of trying to understand your point of view and re representing your position to others in a fair and accurate way? If you were in sincere need of some help, some help of some kind. Wouldn't you want people to notice your situation of need without having to go through the indignity of pointing the need out to them? Or wouldn't you want someone to rise up and meet that need gladly and cheerfully without condemning you for having it or communicating to you that you are inconveniencing them? Yeah, I'll do it for you, but boy, this is sure an inconvenience. You wouldn't like to be treated that way, would you? If you've sinned against someone, or you've offended them in some way, and have sincerely asked for their forgiveness, wouldn't you want their forgiveness to be granted? And wouldn't you want the matter to be put out of mind and forgotten, never again to be brought up in order to beat you over the head with it? Wouldn't you want your efforts toward peace with that person to be welcomed? You know, these are the kinds of things we deal with every day. 
And as his disciples, Jesus is giving us a wonderful standard, if you please, in dealing with them. We never need to wonder what to do. We never need to scurry off to the library or get a copy of Miss Manners and, and uh, frantically flip through the pages of what should be done. Now, some of you don't understand what it means to go to the library anymore. I understand that. Your idea of searching something is Google it, right? You don't even have to Google this, okay? It's right here before us. It's really as if our wonderful Savior has given us a portable book of holy etiquette, if you please, and we can carry it around with us within our own selves. Just simply ask yourself this question. What would I, as a man or woman of God, want others to do to me in this situation? And there you have your answer as to what you should do. That's the measure of this golden rule. Now, thirdly, look at the practice. The practice of the rule. Jesus says, Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Now, this is where the real uniqueness of Jesus' words really shines through, although many people miss it. You see, many historians have made a point of the fact that similar words had been spoken long before Jesus ever spoke them. And one noted Bible teacher once collected many such sayings and they put them together in order to show us how Jesus' instruction is actually different from theirs. And as I even think about some of these, and we don't have time to look at all of them, but just even some of the ancient sayings, you might wonder if you, uh, I wonder if you can detect the difference between them and what Jesus said. The famous Rabbi Hillel, for example, was reported to have taught what is hateful to yourself due to no other. In an ancient Jewish work called The Letter to Aristius, an Egyptian king was said to have asked a group of Jewish scholars what the summation of the teaching of wisdom would be. And one scholar said this, he says, As you wish that no evil should befall you, but to be a partaker of all good things, so should you act on the same principle towards your subjects and offenders. Even the apocryphal book of Tobit says, What thou thyself hatest, to no man do. Now this sort of thing can be found in the ancient writings of non-Jewish philosophers and religions. Even Confucius was, uh, had, uh, if, was asked if there were one word that would serve as a rule for practice of all life. He replied, replied What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Another one said, what, would you, what you avoid suffering yourself, seek not to inflict upon others. The Stoics said, what you do not wish to be done to you, do not do to anyone else. Now, have you noticed the difference already? I hope you've noticed the difference between these sayings and what, what Jesus is saying here in our text this morning. For the most part, these ancient sayings were put in the negative form. What you don't want done to you, don't do to others. But Jesus said it this way, Therefore, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even to them. Notice the positiveness of Jesus' statement here. There's a world of difference between the negative and the positive forms of this word of instruction. Think about it. 
if all I wanted to do was passively not do to some, someone else what I didn't want them to do to me, then I wouldn't have to do anything at all. Right? I just wouldn't do anything. I could keep that commandment just by staying home, sitting on my hands. I, I, uh, to passively not do something narrows the range of my responsibility significantly. But, if I seek instead to actively do to others what I want them to do to me, then suddenly I must be active. I must be responsible. I must be doing something, right? Suddenly a whole new world of responsibilities opens up to me. Suddenly I have to think. Suddenly I have to evaluate. I have to measure. Suddenly I have to love. Suddenly I have to take seriously and quite literally the words of the Apostle Paul who said, let nothing be done in, through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. And suddenly I have to do what Jesus said back in chapter 5, verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than the others? Do not even the publicans do so. But be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. By the way, do you see that if this commandment of the Savior was faithfully obeyed, it would mean the end of all conflict and fights? We wouldn't have conflicts. We wouldn't have fights. And of course, you can see why this commandment drives us to God in humility for forgiveness and grace. None of us has kept it because we're all prone to seek our own interests first and quite content to be ignore, uh, ignoring the needs of others. Oh, may God have mercy upon us and help us. We could never do what Jesus said in our own power. To obey this, we would have to be completely different from the people from the inside out. By the indwelling Holy Spirit, living the perfect life of Jesus through us, we can. This command is simply describing how that we can, uh, uh, we can treat others. How Jesus Himself treated us. As His children, He loved us and He, forgave, uh, he gave Himself for us so that He might sanctify us and cleanse us and present us to Himself a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. He behaved toward us as, a Bible, as the Bible teaches, as a husband is to treat his own wife. Ephesians 5.29, For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even the Lord the church. For a difference, what a difference it is that we are to keep this positive 
active rule. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. I hope you see that difference. It means we're to be active. It gives us a responsibility. And then, th- uh, fourthly, the magnitude of the rule. The magnitude of the rule. Jesus said, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, this rule in positive form is the essence of what we're commended to do in the Old Testament law regarding other people. The Old Testament itself says this. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And I hope you see what the key to it all is. It's love. A good way to describe love in a very practical sense would to say that it means sacrificially putting the needs of a person loved on an equal level with your own. It's a kind of love that fulfills the requirements of the law of God with respect to treatment of others. In Romans chapter 13, Paul wrote, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. And very similarly, In Galatians, Paul wrote this, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, this is the point that Jesus taught in in one of the stories about him in the Bible. A lawyer, for instance, came, uh, that is a scholar of the law of God, came to Jesus and he tested him and he asked him, Master, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. There is that phrase again, all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. And before we leave this subject, let me make one more point here. People are often very fond of saying that they dislike the Old Testament laws. But they love instead the sublime and the winsome teachings of the Lord Jesus, especially the golden rule. Oh, I love that golden rule. Well, Jesus hasn't left that option open to you. The fact is, if you hate the law of God, then you're really going to hate the golden rule too. Because if you really understand what the Lord is saying here, you need to to love what Jesus is teaching as well as the Law and the Prophets. Because Jesus Himself says that the summation, the essence of this, is the Law of God. The problem isn't that such people prefer to think about love. The problem is they don't love God. They don't love God who is a God of great love, nor do they understand His law. It's summed up by the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Now this leads us to the question of how we can begin to obey this commandment. And let me suggest that one of the most important mistakes we would make is to forget 
the command to love our neighbor as ourself is not meant to be understood as the first great command. It is the second. It can only be obeyed as we obey the first. The first great command, Jesus himself told us, is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all our mind. That's the first command. And when obeying Jesus' great command toward our treatment of neighbors, we don't start with looking at our neighbor. We certainly don't start with looking at ourselves. Instead, we start by looking to God. We must first love Him with the totality of our being. And then in loving Him, we will find that we can obey the law that He has given to us. We can have that relationship with Him and that we have no other God before Him, that we make no graven images of Him. We do not take His name in vain, but we honor Him, especially on the Lord's day. And when we first love God with all of our being, we'll be able to look to ourselves and ask what we would want done to us. And we get that holy answer. Only then can we truly love our neighbor as ourselves. Only then will we keep God's commandments that govern our relationship toward our neighbor. That is, to honor our fathers and mothers, to not commit a murder, to not commit adultery, not to steal, not to bear false witness, not to covet what belongs to our neighbor. And with our love toward God, where it should be in the first place, then we will see other people as God sees them. We will see them in their need as sinners, just like we had that same need as a sinner. And we'll also recognize the love that God has shown toward them in Christ, just like He showed to us. And then we'll seek to love them, even when they may be our enemies, in the same way that God does. Oh, I trust that as we ponder and as we meditate upon these truths, They'll make all the difference in the world in the way we live for God and before others. Let's pray. Father.